This episode is brought to you by Swiss Hospitality Guild, the reference and training for hospitality professions and leading authority in hospitality training. SHG is renowned for its excellence in preparing professionals for the hospitality industry. Their training programs have produced top-tier candidates who have achieved notable success, winning medals at prestigious competitions like Swiss Skills, EuroSkills, WorldSkills, and the AICR World's Best Receptionist Contest. To learn more about SHG in this podcast, get in touch with Egidio Marcato, the founder of SHG and the producer of this show, by emailing welcome at SwissHospitalityGuild.com. Good morning and welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cabin, your host. Today we are welcoming John Lohr, Director of External Affairs at Dusit Tani College in Bangkok to our program. Welcome, John. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Crystal, it's a pleasure to be here and um, my congratulations on creating this kind of a podcast. I think the more education, the more knowledge, the more learning we can bring to the hospitality industry, the more people can make educated decisions on if they want to study hospitality, work in hospitality, or stay in hospitality. So congratulations on this and thank you for inviting me. Myself, I, I guess the cliche is I like to say I'm an international American. I was born and raised in a small town in Nebraska. <laughs> doesn't get more simple than that. Um, but I've been privileged to also have a very international career. After having undergraduate studies in Nebraska, I did do postgraduate studies in Switzerland at one of the classic Swiss hotel schools. And that launched my international career, living in seven different countries, working for five different companies, and now currently residing in uh, Thailand, in Bangkok. You've recently started this new job as director of external affairs at Dusit Tani College in Bangkok. Can you tell us about this position and tell us a little bit more about the school? Yeah, I know the nuances of position titles are frankly lost on most non-academic audiences, but what it simply means is I help bring more kids in or students into the school and I help get more students or kids out of the school, meaning jobs, internships, long-term career satisfaction. Technically, what that means is all sales, all marketing, all admissions, all international and industry partnerships plus alumni are under me. But as I've also told my teams, there are some elements where I need to really take a hands-on approach and lead them and guide them. And there are others where I can just let it run and tweak it now and then. The main interest of having me here really is to drive the internationalization strategy of uh, Dusatani College. And what kind of school is it? I mean, can you give us a little bit more information about this hospitality school? In the Thailand context and perspective, it's the most famous school in the country. It was founded in 1993 by the founder of Duzit Hotels, or now is called Duzit International. And Duzit International was the very first luxury hotel brand to come into Thailand. And there's an absolutely fascinating history about this where the owner, who was a woman at the time, traveled to the United States, tried to get into university, couldn't get in, spent some time in New York, saw these amazing hotels in New York and said, hey, we don't have anything like this in Thailand. 
and came back and opened the very first hotel in Thailand that had a pool, had air conditioning, and had an elevator. That was quite novel for Thailand. Then you fast forward to the 1970s, and this woman, again, this is before any kind of concept of woman empowerment or even women leadership. This was a very difficult time in Thailand. She was able to establish the first five-star hotel in the entire country. And this hotel, the Duzit Bangkok, is where kings would be coronated, the most high so of society would be married. So it was an absolute iconic property, which then drove the brand. Now, the story of the school is that after receiving that success, she wanted to give back. So the vision was to provide high quality hospitality education that benefits the industry at large, not just for Duzit hotels. So the college was first established, Duzitani College in 1993, and it has campus in Bangkok and Pattaya. But then after that, Realizing the vision that hospitality can further help people in Thailand in other ways, they also established Le Cordon Bleu, Duzit Culinary School, and now the innovative food school in Bangkok, which actually combines curriculum and courses from three different schools, from Italy, from Thailand, from Japan, into one culinary center. And this all makes up what's called Duzit Hospitality Education. Very interesting. Can you give us some insight into Thai hospitality, John? How is it different from other countries that you've worked in? <laughs> oh, here's where I'm going to say things I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I mean, the thing, I'll say honestly, the Thais figured out how to brand it. The Sawadika, the symbol, is recognized absolutely around the world as a symbol of gracious hospitality. And the essential thinking is that Duzit Hotels was the founder of this gracious hospitality concept. But that also means they learned how to commercialize it to an extent. But regardless of the commercial aspect that Bangkok is the most visited city on earth, the Thais have a truly genuine nature to them. And yes, you can experience this across all Southeast Asia. But let's also not forget that the Thais are happy to have you in their country as long as you appreciate their country because they were not a country that was ever ruled by another. And therefore, they're very proud, but also very, let's just say, wary of anyone who tries to abuse their hospitality. As they always say, there are 12 different types of Thai smiles. And although I did live here in 2008 and I live here again now, I still have maybe figured out five. But the point is that it is genuine hospitality. But it is no longer hospitality where they will just smile and say, and be treated unfairly. They will expect you to respect them. And that is a big shift in the evolution of the level of Thai hospitality now compared to when it first began. Can you tell us more about hospitality education in Thailand? I mean, are there many hospitality schools there? And what kind of programs do they offer? It's funny you mentioned hospitality schools. What, what is a hospitality school? Well, a school is a school. There are high schools and there are colleges and there are universities. Duzatani College was the first ever higher education institute established for hospitality. And by hospitality, we mean mostly culinary arts, which make up the majority of our students, as well as hospitality such as restaurant management, hotel management, etc. The vast, vast, vast majority of Thais do not go to a hospitality management school. Absolutely not. They go to a normal high school. They go to a normal college. And frankly, hospitality is just a entry on the economic ladder that's fairly achievable in terms of you don't have to study a great amount to get that line level position. That's an important point because when you talk to students in a Thai public school, they say, well, do you want to have a career in hospitality? 
they have absolutely no idea what it means to have a career in hospitality. That concept of career just does not resonate. They might think, oh, I need job, easy to get job in hotel, but they're not going to think I could be a GM someday. No, no. That's why the college is so different. It's trying to produce that management-minded mass of talent who says, I actually want to have a career. I want to be a chef. I want to be a manager. And that's why it's so valued and so special in the country, because the vast majority of people coming in the industry just want to work. Basically, there aren't a lot of higher education hospitality schools in Thailand. Dusitani is one of the few. Well, as you know, also in Switzerland, United Kingdom, Germany, France, etc., there's a difference between a dedicated hospitality school, which... Of course, the Swiss have quite a lot of, and a university which has a department of hospitality or tourism. There are a good number of very high-level, very respected universities in Bangkok particularly, which have a hospitality or tourism program. Assumption has one, Bangkok University has one, Chulangkorn University has one. Not necessarily huge. Sometimes they have 100 to 200 students, but um, because tourism on a whole and hospitality on a whole is interesting to study. But they're not necessarily producing the high volumes of manpower to the industry. And that was the hope of Zitani College, having 3,000 students only studying culinary arts and hospitality. Got it. John, is Zitani attracting people from outside of Thailand? You're attracting foreign students? I like this question because it's why I actually have a job. (laughs) What does it mean to be a foreign student? When I came to the school, the thinking was a foreign student is actually somebody from the CLMD area, as they say, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, and Vietnam. That's not a foreign student in my mind. That is a regional student. Putting it back in American perspective, I'm from Nebraska. If I now go to Kansas, the state below me, or Iowa, the state next to me, it's my region. And so if I am going from Nebraska to Iowa and paying two times the fees that I would with my neighbor state, it makes no sense, right? So point is that I've come in there and saying, let's not say that CLMV are foreign students. Let's come in and say that these are actually regional students. Foreign student would be coming from Switzerland, Germany, France, Italy, United States, wherever. As you mentioned before, you studied hospitality at a a well-known Swiss school. Can you describe your hospitality education there? And how did this experience shape your career path, your career choices, and probably what you're doing now? They're very good at marketing themselves. (laughs) They're very good. But they marketed themselves to me at a time when I wanted something focused. Most Americans back, and I'm 40 right now, so this would have been around uh, 2007 or 8. So I had done my undergraduate in international studies in German. And what the heck kind of career are you going to do with that? But Americans don't always think about that. What are you going to do with that? Well, you're going to go and get a master's, of course, and spend more money in another generalized field. And it actually happened that I was on the island of Rügen in northern Germany, because long story short, I also speak German. I did study abroad and studied, etc. And my GM said, hey, look. I know you say you're going to go back to America and do an MBA or do a master's, but, you know, think about hospitality. You seem to have a knack for this. And I know the Swiss schools are very famous. Go check it out. And I did. And I looked at a couple schools and I studied on my school, which was Lyon, Lyon Institute of Higher Education, because it felt comfortable to me. It felt right to me. But let's be honest. I didn't have a clue what it actually meant to study hospitality. I, like all the others, was, I'm going to be a GM someday. Because it's the only big position I really knew from my past. But had I known what I know today, would I still have studied it? Yeah, I, I would have, but I would have had a different perspective coming and saying, you don't want to be a general manager. You don't want to be an operations guy. You're marketing, you're sales, your events. So during your studies, double down on that. 
because that's what you actually, your acumen is in, not operational management. Yeah, and I think a lot of hospitality schools today have understood that. And they've given students the opportunity to specialize in things like marketing, in luxury, in uh, sales, real estate. So I think they're realizing that studying hospitality can mean lots of different things and can bring you to many different places. So as an American, what were your first impressions of Switzerland and the school? Do you have any anecdotes or stories to share with our listeners? (laughs) <laughs> I was one of very few Americans. And the one thing I remember telling people when they'd say, oh, what's it like to study in Switzerland? I said, well, guys, honestly, a lot of kids here are pretty wealthy. I'm not from a wealthy family. I'm not from a poor family. I'm from a middle, slightly middle upper class family. But once again, from Nebraska, not from New York, not from LA. And so I had all these friends who had chateaus and chalets and boats and they would say oh let's go hang out with that on the weekend and i said guys i don't i'm not in europe i don't live here but if you do come back to nebraska i got a cabin down by the river we can go shoot some ducks drink some beer and i'll show you a good time (laughs) and that's luxury for me right where i come from The good thing is that you probably met people from around the world, I would imagine. And that's a good point. I had already kind of been intoxicated by that international environment because I did study in Germany and I worked in Germany. And having friends from South Africa, from from Sweden, from parts of Asia, from Chile, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Before your new position at Ducitani College, you worked for Hosco. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Hosco is, where and when it was it founded, what is its mission, and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your career with them? Yeah, sure. I mean, I spent eight years with them, so it makes up a good portion of my uh, professional life. HOSCO actually stands for Hospitality Connection. Not everybody always knows that. And it is it was founded in Switzerland by some Swiss graduates who looked at the industry hiring practices, who looked at uh, how students find jobs and said, there's a disconnect here. Who looked at the fact the industry would fly in their people, go to a school, set up a booth, talk to students, say, come work for me, spend a ton of money and time and then go back. And at the same time, the industry, or sorry, the school career managers would have a KPI or a job of finding those jobs for those talents. And yet they didn't have the time, money, and resources to find as many opportunities as they wanted to for the talents. So Hosco basically said, look, let's put all of the students from the best schools in one space. And of course, the best schools from their perspective at the time were the Swiss schools. So Ecote de Lausanne, uh, Glion, La Roche. HTMI, IMI, all these guys. These are acronyms I'm using because I'm used to it, but these are the big schools in Switzerland. Osco went around all those schools and said, hey, I'm going to build this amazing network that has jobs, connections, and learning. Please join for free. Key point, join for free because we're at chicken and egg model right now here, right? So when you get all those students in that platform, you go to the employers and say, hey, you know, you're spending so much time and effort to go talk to these guys, but now you can see their CVs online. You can track their progression. You can post your jobs. Why not do that? And so clearly in the beginning, it was a free model. But you see, the key to member acquisition was schools. And so case in point, my job for Hosco for almost eight years was to get to know all the schools. So I like to say I'm really not that intelligent of a person, but I have one USP is I probably know more hospitality tours and schools than anyone else on earth. So somebody wants to hire me for that purpose. That's what I can bring you. But also, I was very privileged to work with Hosco because they let me travel and see the world. 
I visited over 50 countries, every country in Europe, most countries in Asia. And again, we all know the world of hospitality is very magnanimous and friendly. So I met wonderful people, GMs, owners, students, alumni, all in building these relations for OSCO. And so when I would have a partnership with a school, it would bring the talent to the platform, which would start attracting even more number of employers, which eventually did become the business model. An employer pays to post a job to access this audience. You've had an impressive career in recruitment and hospitality education. What are your thoughts about hospitality education today and how it has changed over the past 10 to 15 years? I want to break it. (laughs) Okay. I want to take it apart and build it up again. Because, as I said, I've seen so many schools and I've seen so many schools not doing what they're supposed to do, which is provide talent to the industry, which is developing curriculum in silos, not aligned to what the industry wants, which is charging incredible incredibly high fees to somebody to enter in a line level position with the hope they're going to increase and the hope that they'll eventually be able to pay back their fees in 10 years. It's absolutely not sustainable. Now, there always should exist a couple high-end schools who will do the business of hospitality, who will produce people who are truly going to lead in terms of that highly management orientation, but we don't need so many of them. Honestly, what happened is someone figured out a great business model and everyone else just copied it. What we do, however, need are mass numbers of vocational training schools. And I've seen these models be enormously effective in some countries. The one that I always refer to when people say, who has the best hospitality in the, in the world? And I say, the Netherlands. Now, maybe you've gone to the Netherlands and maybe think they're so friendly. Fine. That's your own opinion. But the model they have is extraordinary. They have over 38 public vocational schools, all funded by the government. So it costs you next to nothing to study. And each of these runs hospitality, tourism, or whatever. And they have immaculate facilities because they get the funding to create those facilities. And then when those students are done... Some of them say, okay, I now have a trade. I have a passion. I'm going to go be a cook. I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to be a restaurateur. And they go and they're happy and they don't even go back to to study because it's what they wanted to do. The other percentage, they say, you know what? I want more. They funnel up to a higher education system in the Netherlands, schools like The Hague or Maastricht or Stenden or all these schools. And then they get their bachelor degrees already having some experience and they enter knowing what to do and how to do it. And frankly, most of them don't even go work abroad. They do for internship, but they mostly come back to the Netherlands. So they're actually providing talent to this fairly small country at extremely high level. They got it down. Portugal also has public schools which are owned by the Ministry of Tourism. So talk about alignment of program and function, right? It makes sense. But these private for-profit schools that don't have industry connection, don't have government connection, they just need to be disrupted. And they are by the industry itself by COVID, by people not wanting to study, by people questioning their return on investment, they will shrivel up and they will die. And that's okay. The ones who remain are the ones who are doing it well, but the volume will be vocational. Now, my other very strong opinion is that those vocational schools will either be bought, aligned with, or serve the industry, meaning the brands will manage and or operate and or use the vocational schools as their private recruitment grounds. Because why wouldn't they? If you are a major brand in the Netherlands or Thailand or wherever, you'd say, let me help you build your curriculum. Let me put my SOPs and procedures in it. Let me make sure the people coming out of your college are fully aligned to work for me. They can work for other people, but they'll get their best shot with me. And now I've saved on my cost of acquisition. I've saved on my training and I have a ready to go workforce. Uh, The next question, you've kind of already answered it, but do you think hospitality schools are preparing young adults adequately? Some people will say that these schools have put more emphasis on the business aspects of hospitality and not enough on the practical skills. 
They've done that. They've done that to survive. They've done it to survive because they know that when you talk to a parent in Southeast Asia and say, go study hospitality, the classic line, and I hate it, but it's a fact. They'll say, I don't want my son to be a cook or a waiter or a chef. They'll say, no. You say, well, I'd like your son to study the business of hospitality. Oh, business. I can tell all my friends my son is studying business. Yes, it's business. It is marketing. It is absolutely marketing. And you know what? I get it. If you're getting pressure from the top to recruit and you need to have a gimmick to sell your school, business sounds good. But the other world is also in the public universities who have departments of hospitality. What happened there is a lot of the departments or the schools of hospitality merged with business schools. And in particularly, this happened in the United Kingdom. And it killed the programs because you're the ugly stepchild in the family at that point. You are mixed in with all of the finance guys and all of the business guys and all the accounting and all the really high-end stuff. And you're sitting there saying, okay, I'm also a business, guys. And they say, well, what's the salary when you get out? Well, it's not so great. Mm, that's actually going to drag down our accreditation. That's going to drag down our ranking. We don't want you here. And it's honestly a kiss of death. I've seen so many uh, departments move into business schools and eventually get absorbed. The biggest example being Cornell, which used to be the most famous hotel school in the world. Bye-bye. Cornell Hotel School does not exist anymore. It's unfortunate. And the, the departments do it to survive because they know there's bigger budgets in business schools and there's more marketing, there's more promotion. But eventually it leads to their demise. But John, someone who is really interested in the hospitality field, but is very clear that they do want to get into management and into higher positions, I would assume, like many places, that if you don't have a bachelor's degree and or even a master's degree, those positions are not really open to you. Is that true? Is that still true today? Someone who wants to get into management, if they don't have a bachelor's or a master's, can they still move up the ladder into those management positions? Clearly. Okay. Clearly. They just need to get in. Okay. What the best model, in my opinion, is, is you get in, you learn the industry, you do the work, you put in the time, you get to you build your network. And then by being in the industry, you start going, ah, I think I like this. Again, back to my story. If I had known earlier I was a sales marketing kind of guy, I wouldn't have been thinking GM. So you're in and your employer says, you know what? You're pretty good. And we think you'd be great for management, but there are some skills you're missing. There is some knowledge you're missing. You don't know cost control. You don't know for revenue. You don't know finance. You don't know people management. I'm going to send you to a school. That's not going to take four years, but it's going to take maybe three months, six months, nine months for you to get those skills. Then you're going to come back to me and I'm going to fast track you to management. That is the perfect model, if you ask me, because I've got work experience. I've got a network. I have aligned my education to my interests and my employer maybe even will sponsor or subsidize some of that education. But I agree with what you said before, is that a lot of this is pressure from parents who absolutely insist that their children have a bachelor's and or a master's degree. I think you're right about that. I think there's a lot of pressure on young people today to have some kind of uh, university degree. Yeah, no, no, no there, there are. And, and frankly, I now live in Asia and I won't claim to be an expert, but I just know what I see. And there's enormous pressure for parents to make sure their sons or daughters get that degree just as a pedigree of both their own education and of the family status. I was at a recruitment fair the other day where Tuzatani College was presented, and as well as schools from Canada and Australia and everywhere. Just by flying a flag that was American and or saying New York College or Los Angeles or wherever, or London or Sydney, there were kids lining up out the door to talk to those recruitment. And of course, mom and dad are standing right next to them. They weren't even thinking UK, they were thinking London, London, London. And then you had a school that's probably more than 60 kilometers away from London that nobody was lining up for because they didn't know them. Because 
people have been there before. Families and relatives had people who were there. They wanted to go to the same place where the others had gone because it has the reputation. The other thing that's, uh, it's a long topic, but just briefly mentioned is ranking. We just had some experts come to Dusatani College to uh, explain to us what is ranking. And frankly, it is a game. The funniest thing, they walked in and said, you guys are originally a teaching learning college. Sorry to say, ranking has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is who you know, how well you know them, and how well they're going to talk about you. So when you send an email to 400 industry people, 400 academic people, they're going to say, ah, I know John, do study college. Yeah, they're pretty good. I'll give them the rank. And but what happens from that fairly arbitrary system, enormous marketing, QS rank, top school, top five. And one of the best tips somebody gave me is like, just figure out it within the micro categories what you're listed for and say a big deal. QS ranked top five in sustainability. Does that affect your education? No, it doesn't, but it's something to talk about. But Asia is so competitive. That's why these rankings are so uh, important here. And the whole thing, I don't want to be talking about saying, oh, I think Tuzatani College has a bad program or Glion or La Roche. I'm saying that the top ones have a purpose. But I'm also saying that this business of creating schools and making money off of kids in private education doesn't make sense. It needs to go to more vocational. It needs to go more government. It needs to go more towards employer-funded. One thing that recently we interviewed someone from China, a young man from China, and he said, though, that what he felt was really important for, well, students from his own country, from China, he said, was to have that international experience of leaving your country, studying, working, and meeting people from around the world. Because in hospitality, that international flair is so important. Would you agree with that, that going and studying perhaps somewhere else is maybe one of the perks of these hospitality schools? And being able to rub elbows with people from all over the world <laughs> that i 100 agree with and i think i'm the poster child for that you know coming from nebraska and having lived all the places i did yes but let's always get back to why you're studying and what your intent is if the parents understand that they're going to send you to an international hospitality school where you will exactly as you said rub shoulders with the right people who will be influential in the future a school that will let you have both a global career and also send you to amazing places, field trips, whatever. And if that money is worth it and your return on investment is that life experience, then line up and sign up. Correct. 100% correct. But when I see families in India or wherever sell land, gather money, strain themselves as much as they possibly can to pay for this education, which this student is not going to make up, it doesn't make sense. So I don't want to say that the Swiss schools are only for high so society. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if your intention, just like sending your kid to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, is to be in that crowd, to have that general education that you're going to apply either to hospitality or something else, then absolutely it makes sense. How do you see the future of hospitality education? You've already mentioned quite a few things, but what other kinds of changes or trends do you see happening? For a while, it was online. And I mean, I also supported some companies that would do online learning, Lobster Inc. for one. Nothing wrong with it. It cannot be the replacement. I think, and I'm very much seeing this here in Bangkok, is people do not want to be online anymore. Absolutely not. Now, we're here making a podcast. I don't consider this online. I consider this uh, media. They want to be face-to-face. Okay fine. They also don't want to spend four years and they don't need to spend four years with these micro trainings, micro certifications, employer funded uh, training. They can get what they need in a bite-sized amount of time and get back to work. 
And I think that the schools that adapt that model will be the ones that ultimately survive because they will be very importantly seen by the industry as producing what they need to produce because it's aligned. Industry sends people to school. School provides additional training and learning with their expertise. School gives back to industry. But who are running these micro certifications? Who are teaching? Are these being taught in schools? Is it, are the companies taking care of this training? This is also, and obviously I'm biased here, but the reason why I think Duzatani College makes sense in doing this, and I'll tell you about our program in a moment, is because we have both our faculty doing it as well as industry professionals. Now, in our unique sense, we're allowed to do that. If you were a public institution, you couldn't have a full-time professor who is just a GM who doesn't have a, you know, a master's degree or whatnot. But we have that unique flexibility being owned by a hotel group and also being sort of a private slash public school. We have a unique model here. But that's exactly the point. It, this model cannot be done by traditional universities because the industry won't listen or respect them. They'll say, ah, oh, you're too academic. Oh, you're too theoretical. We need people who actually did get their hands dirty, who did uh, manage hotels. If you tell me those are your teachers, I'll listen to you when you build your curriculum. If you're telling me you have a bunch of researchers teaching my kids, that's nice, but it's not what I need. So to your point, though, there's a little happy medium in, however, because it also gets back to registering yourself as an education training provider. Well, if a corporate can't do that, but a college can, the college can sort of lend their credentials to a training center, which can, in fact, be more or less run by a corporate. Because you also have to have training and education recognized in a country. And if it's purely private through a hotel, it won't be because they're not an education body. And that's where the actual synergy can happen between academia and industry, ticking both boxes. Right, right. And that's what Duset Tani is doing. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We just launched something called the Duset Hospitality Academy, which is a three or six month short course skills based training that will focus in culinary arts, pastry arts, hotel service and restaurant service. And at the same time, we've aligned to Duzit Hotels who have simply said, look, the fact is a lot of people apply to us, but they're not qualified. They're just not. We have a very high standard. Let me send them to you. Uh, you put them through your program for three months. You send them back to me. That's brilliant for me because I don't have to now sell and market my program. I have a lead source from a corporate company. But what I've also done is built the program so that in the advanced level, you take another three months. And what are you going to get there? You're not just going to get vocational basic skills and training. You're going to get business knowledge. You're going to get marketing, sales, cost, menu design. You're also going to get languages. We're going to put 90 hours of language learning into that program. So a gateway to go abroad to actually work for a Duzit hotel in Abu Dhabi or Guam or any hotel is now through the advanced pathway. Yeah, thank you for mentioning languages because uh, I taught English for many, many, many years. And uh, I agree that this is something that some of the schools have kind of left this to the side. I remember we used to have lots of different languages in the hospitality school I worked in. And uh, little by little, they just let them drop. And, you know, you only really had English and eventually French, but German, Italian, Spanish. So, yeah, I agree with that. It's really important. Massively important. And frankly, once again, with this vocational training model, it can be integrated. I mean, for example, we're now talking to agencies in France who right now, if they go to Cambodia, take a bunch of Cambodians and they bring them to France to work in restaurants and cafes because, again, there's a manpower shortage. But they don't give them French language lessons. So what level jobs can they have when they get to France? Back a house mostly. Okay, needed, but maybe not as experiential and as it could be. My program will give them 90 hours of training. And we're not talking getting to IELTS TOEFL level. We're not ticking boxes here. We're saying, can you hold a conversation? Do you know the vocabulary? Can you understand what's being said to you? And ultimately, for me, it's about 
satisfaction and as a tied terms, happiness in doing your job. If you're more equipped with languages and skills, you're going to feel more confident in doing it. People will get less angry at you doing it. You're going to stay longer in the industry and you're going to be overall happier. Fifty Shades of Hospitality is an educational podcast. Do you think these kinds of podcasts are useful for students who are studying hospitality or who are considering a career in hospitality? What about hospitality educators? Do you think using these podcasts can add value to their curriculum? Well, the educator part is probably the most value you can add because as all educators will tell you, when someone else delivers the message, the students listen. So if they can use this as a mechanism to have people you know, much more important than I am, but having GMs and CEOs and top people participating in this podcast and not sitting in class and say, oh, everybody, okay, we're not going to listen to an hour of podcast. No, but using it as a additional resource for learning saying, look, we just talked about the opportunities in the industry. Log into the podcast, have a listen, tell me what you think, you know, a whole flipped classroom model. That's excellent. That's bringing worldwide knowledge to the classroom at an extremely accessible way. But also, I think the professionals should listen to it because it will also give them perspective on where the future talent's coming from and what they're thinking. I wish GMs would listen to this. I wish owners, oh my God, owners, don't get me started on that topic. Owners hotels would listen to this to understand that their businesses aren't just bottom lines, but that they have great complexity to them too. Okay, great. Well, hopefully some of them will listen. <laughs> Before we finish our interview, what would you say to young people today who are considering a career in hospitality? Go to Asia. Go to Asia. Okay. Whether it's Duzatani, whether it's in Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, Philippines, Korea, this is the future of hospitality work. This is where the volume of people is. This is where the highest number of new hotels being built in terms of pipeline are in the world. And this is where the most opportunities will lie. This is also the place that will, and this is a strong belief of mine, that we'll be exporting manpower to help the other hotels around the world survive. This is the place that still has people who are willing to work those long hours at those low pays, but because they believe it will support themselves in their future. Europe doesn't have that anymore. There's a reason why there are many Europeans who don't study hospitality. There's a reason why most of Swiss schools don't have Swiss in them. But when you can study in Asia or understand the business models in Asia, it is absolutely going to be the future, whether it's hospitality, whether it's the rise of influence of China, whatever it is, this is where the action is happening right now. My strong feeling. That's why I'm here also. John, thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us insights into Thai hospitality, into Thai hospitality education, and just sharing your career path with our listeners today. We thank you so much. Look, it's been a pleasure. I know I can sometimes be a bit opinionated, but I do this because I ultimately love this industry and I want people to truly have a successful, fulfilling career in hospitality. But we have to align expectations with education and with reality. Thank you. episode is brought to you by Swiss Hospitality Guild, the reference and training for hospitality professions and leading authority in hospitality training. SHG is renowned for its excellence in preparing professionals for the hospitality industry. Their training programs have produced top-tier candidates who have achieved notable success, winning medals at prestigious competitions like Swiss Skills, EuroSkills, WorldSkills, and the AICR World's Best Receptionist Contest. To learn more about SHG in this podcast, get in touch with Egidio Marcato, 
the founder of SHG and the producer of this show by emailing welcome at SwissHospitalityGuild.com.